Father, we need you this morning. Father, we need you a lot. And Jesus, we, we, we just want to give you the room that you need to come and do what you want to do here this morning. Holy Spirit, would you, would you cause us just to even right now be aware of your presence and be aware that you're with us, even now, Father. Holy Spirit, we want to honor you with, uh, with, with the word this morning. And, and Father, we ask that you would empower uh, just, just this message this morning, Father, and that you would cause our hearts to be good soil, Father, for the seed of your word to fall on. Father, again, we ask that you would deliver us from more than just Bible knowledge. Father, we ask that you would, that you would cause us to have an encounter with you. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> if you want to, open up your Bible to the book of Judges. That's way back in the Old Testament. Not a place that we hang out a lot of times here at the Vineyard, but it's where we're going today. Open up your Bibles to the book of Judges. We're going to look at two chapters. We're going to read a lot of Scripture this morning. I'm not going to lie. So I hope you brought a Bible. We're going to read a lot. We're going to start in Judges chapter 6. And we're going to go all the way through chapter 7. And, and some of you guys probably already know this is the story of Gideon. That's where we're going to be here this morning. And um, what I want to talk to you guys about this morning, and, uh, and then we're going to continue it on next week as well. We're going to do a little mini-series here. And um, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be, we're going to be, talking, about, uh, we're going to be talking about courage. And we're going to be talking about boldness and... and uh, and the biblical, a biblical view of courage and, and bravery and, and boldness. Um, I, I don't know about you guys, but um, w- one of the things that I'm becoming more and more aware of is uh, the days that we live in, uh, what, what the days that we live in are calling for is a bold and courageous people. And, and one of the commodities that's going to become more and more valuable as we go on in these days is courage. And, um, you know, this isn't, this isn't the Wizard of Oz necessarily, but... Man, it's still incredibly valuable in the kingdom. And it's one of the manifestations of the kingdom is courage. And so um, the first thing I want to let us all know is that uh, this morning, that what the world really needs is a, is, is a bold and courageous people. It, it, what the world really needs is it needs a people who are convinced, a people who are not ruled by their fears, and a people whose, whose fire in their heart is fueled by the love of God. You know, um, there are, there are so many people that I encounter, and, and, and probably you guys do too, your neighbors and some of the people that you, that you work with and, and some of the people that you go to school with and you know, just people in our lives, some of our family members, and, and their lives are ruled by fear. They're, 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 they live in prisons of panic, and, and, they're, and they're just ruled by fear. They're, they're, they're ruled by the, you know, the what-if questions, and, and, and so they, they spend so much of their lives hedging bets, and, and, and because of because of this prison that, that fear puts them in, they never, they never break out into the, to the open spaces that God has for them. And, and so what I really want to look at for at least the next couple of weeks is, I feel like the Lord is calling us, this church specifically, to a new place of courage, to a new place of demonstration. We spent the last four weeks talk about, talking about uh, the kingdom of God, that being God's rule and reign. And we saw how, how God's, God's rule and reign, when it breaks in, it sets people free. But one of the things that, that, uh, that I hope that we notice when we were studying the, the rule and the reign of God is that, that when God does stuff, He's partnering with people. You know, uh, God could do anything that He wanted to at any time. He could show up right now in this room and in a, in a ball of light could just wow us all, you know. And He, he could, he could, he could speak, speak His message to us. He could give us direction. But for the most part in human history, the balls of light are few. And more times than not, God partners with people to accomplish His purpose. And so, so there's, this, there's this real dynamic between the partnership of God to accomplish His purpose and the reality that, man, it's gonna, He's talking to me, you know? And, and at, some point, at some point, I'm walking out the back door, and at some point, I'm doing what He says, and at some point, when I begin to do what He says, I realize, man, this is going to take something more. And I, I, that's why I really want to get to is the more, and that being uh, courage and boldness. So Vineyard, if any part of our hearts, if it, if it moves to the call of Jesus to disciple nations, if, uh, if there's any part in us that contains even a spark of love for our, com- for our community, 
If any part of us has any desire to see the kingdom come and other kingdoms go, then bold and brave and courageous must become adjectives that increasingly describe us. I had a vision this week, um, and this vision is, is, is in some ways uh, a part of, of my dream for us. I had a vision this week in my office, and in the vision I, had a, uh, I, I saw that um, the Lord, he came, he came to me, and I think it's, this is a, kind of a, a word for all of us, but the Lord came to me, and um, uh, Hebrews talks about the fact that, that our God is, a, is an all-consuming fire. And so the Lord reached out and touched me, and when he reached out with his hand and touched me, his hand became fire, and I got on fire. And so when his fire touched me, everything that wasn't in his kingdom that was in me was burnt up. The wood, the hay, the stubble of my life was consumed. And then this strange thing happened. I began to burn, and then I didn't quit burning. And so I became this burning man, okay? And I feel like that's part of what the Lord wants to do. Is he, wants to, he, wants to extend his, he wants to extend his hand, and he wants to, he, he wants to extend the, the fire of his love. He wants to extend just the, the fire of his purpose, and he wants to unleash it on our, on our town and on our state. And he wants to, he wants, it's, ba- it's basically about confrontation. He wants us to be a people who are consumed with the love of God, who are, who are on fire and who are burning, and whose, whose burning causes everyone else around us to burn. And then everything that's in them that isn't the kingdom burns. And then they, they continue to burn. You see what I'm saying? I had this, this, this picture this week, and I feel like it's something that the Lord wants to do. He wants to, there, there's something about the kingdom that's, that's about takeover. And I shared with you guys last week that, it's, that I'm becoming increasingly convinced that, that our towns and our, and our, and our communities and our, and our, um, and our counties are, um, are pretty much unreached people groups. You know, the, the, the people that you live next to, you know, the people that you assume that they know Jesus and the people that you assume are living abundant life, they, they may not be. You know, in our town of, in our county of 25,000 people, you know, I, I would be willing to bet less than 8,000 people are at church this morning. And of that 8,000 people, how many people are devoted followers of Jesus? Well, it would you know, most likely be less than the 8,000. You know, and these are just, I'm just making up numbers. So the point is, I feel like you know, this is an unreached people group. And the thing that it's going to take to break through the unreached people group is a people who are convinced. That'd be us. And, and it's going to be a people who are convinced that God is good and that he's in love with people. And that he wants to bring abundant life to everybody that we know. And, and, and at the point that we become convinced of that, it's the point at which courage becomes a really valuable commodity. You see that? You know, it's, it's one thing to know that God is good and doesn't like sickness. It's another thing to go over to your neighbor who's dying of cancer and go, God is good, he doesn't like cancer, and I'm here. It, it's, one thing, it's, it's one thing to know that the world is full of problems, and it's another thing to know that I'm the solution to lots of the world's problems. You know, um, it, it's, um, it was put to me like this. You know, any, any, any theology that doesn't make the world's problems your problems, any theology that doesn't make the world's problems my, my problems is from the devil. And so we're just called to be people who are full of solution and not just more of the problem. Amen? I mean, that's really my vision. I, I want to see us burn with fire, and I want to see us touch our communities, and I want to see us pass on fire, fire that consumes everything that isn't the kingdom and fire that ignites everything that is the kingdom in a person. It's really about abundant life. All right, let's look at some scriptures here. Judges chapter 6. This is the story of Gideon. If we started in, in chapter 6, verse 1, that wouldn't be a great place. Let's go up just one line. This is after, this is after Deborah has kicked butt and taken names. And, and the, last, the last little part of the narrative says there, then the land had peace for 40 years. Okay? So Deborah kicks butt, takes names. They sing this song. It's a really funny song. You ought to, you ought to read it sometime. Maybe we'll even put tunes to it. But they sing this song. And so after, after Deborah comes and, and, and is used by God to judge and and, and, and help uh, Israel be freed from her enemies. There's 40 years of peace. But then in typical fashion, the Israelites, they kind of fall off the wagon. And this is what it says in verse 1. And again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because of the power of, the Midian, of, the, of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Are you, are you getting this? 
They, the Israelites did evil in the, in the eyes of the Lord. They didn't follow the Lord anymore. And so the Lord gives them over into the hands of the Midianites. And, and, and Midian was so oppressive to them. The people of Midian was so oppressive that the children of Israel were running off in caves and, and cliffs to hide away from them. That's a bad day, isn't it? Here's, here's the other thing I want us to notice about this. When it says, because we need to get this worldview a little bit. When it says that the, that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Midianites, it's not like the Lord was wringing his hands going, yes, I finally get to get rid of these people. Okay, it wasn't it wasn't that that was a happy day for the Lord. And it wasn't even that that was God's plan. It was that Israel had chosen Midian's gods over Israel's gods. And we'll see that in a few minutes. It was that Israel had chosen to forsake God. It wasn't that God had forsaken his people. It's that it's that the people of God had forsaken him. We'll see that a little bit more because the power of Midian was so oppressive. The Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites Amalekites and the other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and they ruined, all the, they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. And they did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them and their, it was impossible to count their men and their camels. They, inva- they invaded the land to ravage it. Midian, was, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So here's the problem. The problem is Israel has again left the Lord. God didn't abandon them. They left him. And there's, here's the thing about the Lord. And if you haven't experienced this already, let this be a warning to everybody in the house. The Lord, he, this is how he is. He'll let you have what you want. And so the, so the people of Israel, they chose the gods, of, uh, the, they chose the, gods of, the, of the Midianites and the Canaanites. And God says, well, if that's what you want, that's what you can have. And in choosing, they ended up choosing poverty and oppression for themselves to the point that they're running off and they're hiding in caves. And so it's a really bad day for Israel. You know, people, and this is another thing too. People, people, sometimes, people sometimes are convinced that, man, we're living in really bad days. Here, here's the deal. Any day spent apart from God is a really bad day. In any culture, in any country, in any people group that decides to get, find its identity apart from God is a bad day. And so, you know, these, these, the days that we live in, yeah, there's a lot of things that are going down that are not that great. There's a lot of things that are going down that, that are not a part of the kingdom of heaven. But these days aren't all of that different from the days that we see here in, here in the Bible. These, the, the, the deal is this. It's, it's, it's the, are the people... Committed to the Lord. And so it says in verse 6, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out for help from the Lord. So you want to say this, that a life apart from the Lord is, is, is poverty. It's, it's, it's one of the number one places that, that poverty and impoverishment of all kinds comes from. It comes from living life apart from the Lord. I also think it's funny that they cried out to him once they got impoverished. Sometimes we don't pray until it hits our bank account. Jesus, help me. And when the Israelites cried out to, them, to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and I gave you their land. I said to you, listen to this. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. So the Israelites, they cry out to God because it's a, it's a bad day. It's been bad seven years. And the Lord sends them a prophet. And I want us to notice something here about the prophetic. A lot of the times we can read a word like this, and, we, and the first thing that we associate this prophetic word is, we associate it with judgment. It sounds like a judgment word, doesn't it? I want to tell you, it's actually not a judgment word. People cry out, the prophet, and he comes and he gives the word. And to us, it sounds something like a judgment word, but it's actually not a judgment word. The word that the prophet brings to them, he, he, what he's doing is he's locating what the actual problem is. Okay, In verse 6, it says that Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So in Israel's mind, what's the problem? The Midianites. In God's mind, what's the problem? The Israelites, you have left ye and you have served other gods. And so this is one of the, this is one of the, this is one of the purposes for the prophetic. Uh, you can read it almost in all of the scripture. Most of the time, what we, what we perceive to be judgment 
a lot of times isn't actually judgment from the Lord. It's the prophetic coming and, and, and drawing the lines for what the, for what the problems actually are. It, the prophetic gives us illumination into, into situations and into problems, and in, it gives us insight and revelation. So uh, Israel, they cry out to God because of their oppressors, the Midianites, and they're saying, God, you know, the problem here is the Midianites, but the, God sends a prophet in his kindness, and he says, no, guys, the, prophet is, the, the problem is not the Midianites. The problem is that you guys have left me. You guys have left me. So the Lord, he sends, he sends first the prophet, and Israel becomes aware of the fact that the problem is their service of other gods. This is where it starts to get really fun. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash, the Abrazite. I don't know how to say these names. Where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, and, the, and this is what he said. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. We'll stop right there. When, uh, when the Lord comes and visits uh, uh, Gideon, Gideon, he is, he's threshing wheat, so he's harvesting wheat, and he's doing it in a wine press. Now, that's not where you thresh wheat. Most of us could probably understand that. The wine press back in these days, in these, these ancient wine presses, they were like pits. They were, like, they were dug down. So Gideon, he's in this pit with his wheat, and he's threshing it, trying to separate the wheat, the, the grain from the chaff and all the, all the stuff that, would, uh, that you can't eat, you know. And so he's in this pit. And the reason that he's in this pit is, is because he's afraid of the Midianites. So one of the things we first find out about Gideon is, you know, he's a pretty good Jewish boy. He wants to take care of the family. He wants to run the family farm and take care of his wife and kids in his dad's house. But he's a scaredy cat. And the reason is, is because what we've already seen in verse 6, the Midianites have oppressed the people of God and so they've impoverished them. And so it's in this place where Gideon, if you can see this, it's in this place where Gideon is, is, he's got his harvest and he's not in a harvest spot, you know. He's in this wine press and he's, you know, he's obviously afraid. And then the angel of the Lord appears to him. Now, I don't know how big this pit would have been, but it probably would have been scary for this to happen, okay. So let's just imagine a somewhat large but not huge pit. You're in it, you're, you're trying to shake the weed out of the grain and and the angel of the Lord appears to you. And when he appears to you, he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I mean, when, when Gideon hears this, probably he's looking around for someone else. I'm not a mighty warrior. I'm a farmer. And um, so this is, this, is really, this is really awesome because the Lord, he, he's, speaking, he's speaking destiny over Gideon. And the first thing that the, that the angel speaks to uh, Gideon is he speaks to him the promise of presence. He says, the Lord is with you. And then he, then he gives him his name uh, of destiny. He says, mighty warrior. And, um, and at the time, like we've already said, Gideon, he, he is not a mighty warrior. He's in a wine press and he's, he's obviously trying to provide for his family or whatever, but he's doing so from a place of fear. Not, not, not a warrior. And... Um, and so the thing I want us to see in this is that, that there's something about words, and there's something about the prophetic here. Um, and we know this even from, from Genesis chapter 1. You see, the Lord, He creates from words. So the angel of the Lord shows up to a man who's afraid in a wine pit, a man who's trying to hide from his enemies. And when the Lord speaks to him, He speaks to him, He speaks to him as future. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And so even, even from the, the first time that Gideon meets the angel of the Lord, the Lord is, is speaking his word over him. And so there's this, almost to me in my brain, there's this creation sort of thing happening. You know, in, in Genesis 1-1, the Lord, he spoke into the darkness and he said, let there be light. And so from nothing came light. This is how the word, this is why, this is why the prophetic, and this is why words are so important. This is one of the, this is one of the true, this is one of the true purposes of the prophetic. This is why when we encounter the prophetic in one another, we want to release encouragement because our words really do re release realities into people. And so the Lord comes and he, and he speaks to Midian and he, and he looks at him, this man afraid in a wine press, and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon's looking around for someone else. You know, I'm not a mighty warrior. And, and so, the, the, and you think, well, how can this reality, what, why is the Lord doing this? It can happen for a couple reasons. One, like we've already said, it's because the Lord, he, he creates with words. In, in the kingdom, things happen first with words. Secondly, the Lord, he's not, he's not bound by space or time. And so when the Lord shows up 
with Midian in this wine press, afraid and running from the running from the enemies. You know, Midian who's afraid. I mean, the Lord he he holds all of space and time together at once, and he's come from the future. You know, you know, the future and the past are one moment to the Lord, and so the Lord knows what Gideon's calling is going to be, and so he shows up in the present and he speaks to him the future. See, this is one of the this is one of the purposes of the prophetic. When, you know, some of us are are prophetic people around here. And what we want to do is when we, when we encounter people, when we speak the word of the Lord, what we're going to speak is we're going to speak their future. We're, 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 looking, for, we're looking for that place where the future becomes present and even, even offends the present. And we think, well, what in the world is being said here? It's one of the points of the prophetic. You can see it like this. When you, when you give or you get a really great prophetic word, and it, and, it, and it doesn't seem possible. When it offends your mind, but you know it's possible in your heart. You, ever, you guys ever had words like that? Someone speaks to you a word. In your mind, you go, this is not possible. But in, in your heart, you hope that it is. Y'all have had these words, I hope. If you haven't, you need one. It'll change your life. Here's what's happening. Here's what's happening when you get a word that's completely completely beyond your current situation that offends your mind, but you hope it's true in your heart. What happens is that the person who gave you the word, either in a dream or a vision or someone who just prophesies to you, what they did is literally they, they put one hand into the future and they pulled it into the present and they threw it at you. That's what's happening. That's what divine encouragement looks like. It, it looks like grabbing what you will be, bringing it into the present. And then here's what the Gideon's response is. He starts in verse 13, he says, But sir, still not aware that it's the Lord, But sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about? When they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. You see, the reality that the Midianites are the problem is even a reality for Gideon. You know, he's saying, If the Lord's with us, then why is all this happening? The truth is, it's happening because the people of God have left God. And so the Lord turned to him and he said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Now look in verse 15. Something has happened between verse 12 and verse 15. At first it was, sir, if it's the Lord. Now look what Gideon says in verse 15. But Lord, something something in this encounter is, is, is changing Gideon even now. But Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. I want to talk to us a little bit here about, about weakness. The, the first insight that we get into to get in as a person is that he's, he's a fearful man. He's threshing wheat in the wine press. It's just not what you do. He, he's afraid of his enemies. He's afraid of having his harvest stolen by, by the Midianites. And when the Lord comes to him and he says, The Lord's with you, mighty warrior. Gideon objects and says, well, if the Lord's with us, why is this happening? Then the Lord says, look, I want you to go defeat the Midianites you know, and save all of Israel. And then, and then, is, and then um, Gideon's objection is based upon his own weakness. He says, Lord, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my, in my family. And, and here's what I want to say to us, because we're people of destiny, and we're people who are called to be the solution and not just the problem. When the Lord comes and speaks to you and says, hey, I want you to be the solution and not just the problem, we feel like the least, okay? That's, that's a pretty normal thing. But here's the really awesome thing about the Lord. This really gives us some insight into who the Lord is. The Lord is not offended by your weakness. See, the purpose of God uh, for a community, the purpose of God for your life, the purpose of God for your family, the purpose of God for this church is not located in your weakness. The, the truth of the matter is it's not even located in your strength. And so God is not offended by weakness, and God's plan is not affected by weakness, and He's not affected by status. Personal weakness, fear, and small faith are not disqualifiers to being used by by God. Anybody here feel weak? Yeah, here's the deal, and and it's actually good news. This is part of the good news this morning. If you feel weak in response to God's call on your life, it's actually not a disqualifier. See, in Matthew 28, Jesus looks at the disciples in, in, in the Great Commission and he says, Look, guys, I, I want you guys, I don't want, here's what he didn't say. He didn't say, I want you guys to go save your neighborhood. He looks at the disciples and he says, I want you to go make disciples of nations. 
Now imagine that one. It's you, it's Jesus, and it's, you know, 10 other of your very best friends, and you're hanging out on a mountainside, and Jesus gives the call to you, and he says, you know, me, you, I want you guys to go make disciples of nations. Does that make you feel strong, or does that make you feel weak? Does anybody feel up to the task? (laughs) See, here's the deal. The Lord's not offended by weakness, and weakness and, and, and personal status They're not disqualifiers to being used by God. There's something about the nature of God, and this is really important. There's something about God's nature. He thrives off of taking weakness and turning it into strength. There's something about who God is. He loves to take the weak and turn it into strength. He loves to take the weak and exalt them. This is what Paul says in in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You can write this down. I'll read it to you. It's chapter 1, verses 27 and 29. Paul's speaking to the Corinthians, and he says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before Him. See, there's just something about the Lord. He loves to choose the weak. He he loves to choose the foolish. He loves to choose the not smart and, and the not lovely, and He loves to anoint that, and He loves to show Himself strong through it. Uh, you can think about it all through the scripture. Abraham is called to be a blessing to all the nations on the earth. And God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. And Abraham means exalted father of nations. That's what his name means. And he has no sons. None. God just loves to take weak things and turn it around and use it for strength. Weakness is not a disqualifier. Think, think, about, think about some of the other people in, in, in scripture. Abraham is one. Think about Moses. Moses gets the call from the burning bush. I still can't get over the burning bush. It talks. But Moses gets gets the call from a talking on fire bush. And and, and the call is, go to the most powerful people on the planet. Go talk to the most powerful man on the planet and tell him to let my people go. And Moses is a stutterer. There's something about the Lord. He just loves loves to put his presence and to put his seal of approval and put anointing on weakness. And so if, you're feeling, if you feel weak, if there's something in your heart that moves to the, to the call of God, if there's something in your heart that's ever responded to, to God's purpose in your life, if there's something in your heart that is, it's at, that's at the same time worried and frightened and afraid, if, if there's some area in your life that you know needs, uh, needs work and refinement, I, I want to tell you, God's really not offended about it. And He already knew it when He, when he called you out. Um, so God's not offended by weakness. At the same time, God's not impressed with strength or intelligence. I want you to see it like this. This water bottle is, let's just say this water bottle is all human intelligence and strength. Okay? All, all All that the world can muster into one water bottle. Okay? And, um, and we just set it right here. <clears throat> what's the difference from eternity's perspective between a water bottle, let's say, that's, this one's not quite full. You know, let's just imagine this one's not quite full. And let's imagine that there's another one over here that's, that's all the way full. And the, and the one that's all the way full is all human knowledge and all human strength. Here's one that's not quite full. And we, just, and we were just to set them here on the podium. And let's just, let's just step back from it. And let's just imagine that the further we go back, we're just kind of getting eternity's perspective. You know, from eternity's perspective, what, what's the difference between, you know, the water bottle that's all the way full and the water bottle that's not quite full? It, it's very little. So God, he's really not offended by human weakness. He's not offended by human ignorance. He's not offended by foolishness. And at the same time, he's not impressed with, with human strength or brilliance. From eternity's perspective, there's very little difference. You know, I'm not beating up on education. I'm for education. I have an education. It's, it's good stuff. But, you know, if you have a bachelor's degree and you go on and get your master's degree, you know, God ain't impressed. You know, two more years of learning doesn't impress the Almighty. It doesn't even make you more useful necessarily. The thing that makes you more useful is the presence that's on your life. It's the presence that's on your life. And then God answers Gideon and he says, 
in verse 16, the Lord answered him and he says, I'll be with you and, I'll, and I love this. He says, I'll be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. So the Lord's, the Lord's answer to Midian's objection about his weakness is the promise of presence. And so th- there's a word for, for us in this. And it's the, the cure for weakness is presence. The solution for weakness is presence. You feel weak. You feel like a weak person who's called. The, 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 the cure for your weakness in your calling is the presence of God resting on your life. And I love what partnership with the Lord looks like. He says, the Lord says to Gideon, I'll be with you and you will strike down the Midianites. That sounds fun, doesn't it? I'll be with you. Let me, let me put it this way. Gideon, I'll be with you and you'll know it because you'll strike the Midianites down. Comforted? Everyone comforted? You'll know that I'm with you when you start striking Midianites down. <clears throat> and then Gideon asked for a sign. He says, if I found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that you're really talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord says, I'll wait for you. And then Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and some flour and made bread without yeast and putting the meat in a basket and the, and the broth in the pot. He brought them out and offered them to the angel underneath the oak. And so Gideon asked for a sign, and, and here's the deal, y'all. The fact that Gideon asked for a sign, to me, is not necessarily uh, evidence that Gideon lacked faith. It's just that, man, the Lord's telling me, a farmer, I'm a wheat farmer, and he's telling me to go kill Midianites and, and save all of Israel, and he wanted to be sure, you know? The, the fact that, and so, and here's, here's kind of the word that's, that's in that for us, Here, is this, that, you know, when, when the Lord calls you, when the Lord speaks to you, at the moment that you've purposed in your heart to do it, at the moment that you've, that you've said yes to the Lord, there's still room in there for doubts to exist. Qualify us. The, you know, the Lord, the Lord, is, the Lord is, is looking for a willing heart, and, he, and, he, and He's not offended even by necessarily doubts. And so Gideon, he, he says, Lord, let, I got need to be sure about this. Let me go make you, an, you know, a little something. And he, he fixes it up and and, and the Lord honors them. And, and, and it's really, again, it's, it's, a, it's a testament to how good the Lord is. He's so patient. He's so patient, you know. Uh, some of us in the room, the Lord has spoken to us, told us to do things, and, and we've set out to do it. And, and at the same time, we're, we carry doubt with us. And, and the Lord, He's not offended by it. And He lets Gideon go ahead, and He, and he does that. And when, he, when Gideon brings back the offering, He touches it, and fire comes up. That'd be a good day, wouldn't it? All right, things begin to ramp up in verse 20. There's a shift that kind of takes place here in verse 20. Something else I want to see when it comes to developing courage on the inside. Verse 20 is what it says. The angel of the Lord spoke to him and said, Take the meat and the unleavened bread and place them on this rock and pour out the broth. Then what does it say? And Gideon did so. Now look in verse 25. That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of that, on this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. And then look at verse 27. So Gideon took ten of his servants, and he did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. What are we seeing here? Yeah. We're seeing that Gideon is still a man who's somewhat possessed by fear, but, but his fears don't rule him. His fears do not rule him. And, and this is the thing I want us to see from these few verses right here. And we're going to look at it again a, on another page here. In verse 20, the Lord gives him direction about the offering. He says, take the, take the meat and take the, take the broth and pour it out and... And then what does it say? It says that Gideon did so. And then in verse 25, the Lord gives Gideon specific instructions on what to do with the, uh, with the, the false gods and the altars that are, that are literally in his father's house. Cut down the Asherah poles, tear down the altars, build me an appropriate altar, take the bulls from your father's herd. I mean, imagine that. He's actually taking animals out of his dad's herd, hacking them up, okay? Without telling dad, all right? But here's the point. The point is this. 
that Gideon is not ruled by fears. Even though in verse 27 he's doing this at night because, because he's afraid of his family and the community, he's not ruled by his fears. He, he's, he's purposed in his heart to be obedient. And there's, there's just something, there's something here for us uh, about obedience. There's something here for us about obedience and about revelation. Okay? I want us to see this. Gideon, on, on day one, he's just in a wine press. Angel of the Lord shows up. Says, Gideon, I'm with you. You're a mighty warrior. That's a revelation. Okay? Gideon says, Lord, I'm not very strong. I'm from the least. And the Lord says, I'm going to be with you and you're going to strike down Midianites. There's a revelation. But at the same time, these revelations that he's getting from the Lord, they're general and they're broad, okay? I want, I want us to notice that specific insight and specific illumination and specific revelation don't come until Gideon becomes a person of obedience. And so there's just something for us about how obedience is the pathway into increased light and increased revelation. You know, if you want to live a life of increased light and increased revelation, the way to, in, to, the way to enter into uh, uh, just a profound experience of revelation with the Lord is obedience. It's really not about trying harder either. You know, there's, uh, uh, it's, it's not about, it's not about, it's not even, let me put it this way, it's not even about praying more. You know, some people need to stop praying and start doing. And that's a word. Some people actually need to stop praying and start doing. The, the, the pathway to illumination with the Lord, the pathway to direction and His hand of guidance on you is actually obedience. And it's, and it's obedience more than it is trying harder, beating myself up, uh, jumping high for Jesus. And, and you guys know what I mean by that. I hope you do. In the book of James, James says, if you're the kind of person who hears the word but doesn't do the word, then you become deceived. And so one of the roots of deception, one of, one of the roots of, of deception, and, and one of the things that blocks the light of illumination and revelation off of your life is to hear the word but not do it. And so, and this is one of the things that we see plainly in Gideon's life is, he's a man of fears, but his fears don't rule him. He, he fears the Lord more and so he obeys, and his obedience leads him into greater revelation. It leads him into the next step. Here's the other thing I want us to notice, too. When the Lord shows up to Gideon and says, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior, and I want you to defeat the Midianites, he doesn't tell him how to do it. He doesn't tell him how to do it until he begins to obey him in the first and second little steps. You know, sometimes the Lord will come to us, and he'll speak to us, and he gives us an assignment, and the assignment seems so big or so so impossible that the only thing that we can focus on is our own inability to accomplish the assignment. And when we, when we, when we become so focused on our inability to, to accomplish the, the assignment, we actually begin to block our ears to hearing the Lord and to hearing the next step. Oftentimes the Lord, because He's gracious, will go ahead and give you the next step. And if, if we're still consumed with our own inability and don't even make one ounce of forward progress on the fourth step, we never make it into an increased revelation of what we're to do next. And so four or five years go by and we wonder, I got this incredible prophetic word or I got this call from the Lord. I remember it one night I was on my bed and I got called by the Lord and I knew I was supposed to do something. And it's four or five years later, there's been no progress and bitterness and anger is beginning to set up in my heart at God because, because the call and the good word that he spoke over my life has made no, no progress whatsoever. Maybe some of us have experienced this. I want to tell you that the way in is obedience. It's just doing the next thing. It's doing the thing that he told you in the beginning. If the Lord hasn't told you anything new, then go back to what he told you last and do that. A lot of people got off the path when they didn't do the last thing the Lord said. There's something about obedience that leads us into increased revelation with the Lord. So it's progressive obedience. And this is how good the Lord is. See, the Lord didn't tell Gideon right off the bat, hey, Gideon, I want you to go and take a hatchet and run out into the field of uh, you know, Midianites and hack them up, buddy. You know why he didn't tell him that? Not because it's not possible, because with God, all things are possible. I mean, they're, they're, you know, Samson killed thousands of people with the jawbone of a donkey. I, I don't know how, okay? 
but it's possible. But the reason the Lord didn't tell Midian, Midian didn't tell Gideon to go out into the Midianites with a, with a hatchet and hack them all up and, and free Israel from all of its enemies at the beginning is because he wouldn't have done it. He's a man of fear. And so there's something about obedience and walking with the Lord that leads us into increased realms of possibility. You know, when, when the Lord says, hey, dump out the broth and give me the meat, you know, that doesn't seem like a big assignment, but that's actually the assignment that, that enables you to do the big assignment. And, and when, the Lord says, when the Lord says, dump out the broth and, and, and give me the meat, that's actually the assignment that prepares Gideon to be able to go and cut down the Asherah poles at his own dad's house. And, and cutting down the Asherah poles at dad's house is what prepares him to be able to take 300 guys and go into a field of 140,000 army. I mean, we're talking, I mean, th- hundreds of thousands of, of warriors to be able to take 300 guys, surround them, and see a victory. See, I'm telling you, Gideon wouldn't have taken the 300 at the beginning. God is leading him along, and there's process involved. So it's progressive obedience leads to progressive revelation. Don't get frustrated. If the Lord's asking you to only do small things right now, be excited. He's looking for faithfulness. There's something about faithfulness. He'll just, he'll, he, he always honors faithfulness. Faithfulness is always rewarded with more. And so if your assignment's small right now, do it really well. Give him the meat, pour the broth out like you've never done it. I mean, like you just couldn't do it anymore. Like you couldn't be more excited to pour out the broth and give the meat. You know, if, if the only thing you're doing around here right now is greeting people at the back door and you know that you have a call to the nations, then greet them at the back door like nobody else is ever going to love anybody in the whole world. Here's the deal. You know, if you don't greet them at the back door, if that's the only assignment you have and you don't do that well, you, you probably won't progress to the next step. And if you jump to the next step, the Lord's going to just take you right back to greeting you somewhere else. If not here, then somewhere. I, I, this, is, this is the truth. So it's progressive obedience leads to progressive revelation. To hear and not do is the root of deception. And it's the antithesis of biblical light. Here's the other, one, the other thing I want to say about this. About this connection between revelation and obedience. Any revelation that grows from a place apart from experience with God. Any revelation that grows from a place apart from a place of obedience and partnership with the Lord, it just leads to humanistic ideas and pride. Any, any, any so-called revelation that someone gets apart from obeying the Lord, any, any, any sort of illumination or idea that someone gets apart from encountering the Lord and having His Word spoken over you will lead to nothing more than humanistic good ideas and ultimately pride. And with that being said, <clears throat> with that understanding under our belt, obedience is actually a pathway to, to greater humility. We talked about it a little bit last week, that the pursuit of power is actually, biblically speaking, probably one of the number one ways to, to gain actual biblical uh, humility in our lives. To, per, to, pursue, to pursue God's word, God's, uh, God's call over your life, to pursue power is, is the way to embrace biblical humility. Because to pr- pursue God's call and, um, and to pursue power in my life is to pursue the things that I can't do on my own. And it, and it makes me acutely aware of the fact that I need the Lord. Hmm. So God, he's not, he's not offended by personal weakness and obedience is the key to greater revelation. <clears throat> let's, uh, let's skip over some stuff here. Chapter 7. Actually, let's don't skip over to chapter 7 just yet. Look at, look at chapter 6, verse 34. We'll start in verse 33, actually. Now, all the Midianites, the Malachites, and the other eastern peoples joined for- forces, and they crossed over the Jordan, and they camped in the valley of Jezreel. 
And then if you've got a pen with you, you want to underline this next verse. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew his trumpet, sounding, summoning the Abizarites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also to Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, so that they went up to meet him. Here, here's the deal. There's a, there's a connection to between being anointed and being able to gather, you know. Uh, there's, there's no reason why anyone in Israel would have followed Gideon. No one knew him. He was from a, a, a tiny family in a tiny clan, and he was pretty much a scaredy cat. And so now he's blowing a trumpet, and he's, and he's sounding an alarm uh, about an invading army. And um, so progress and, 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 and uh, effectiveness in the kingdom, it comes from the spirit that rests upon you. Says that the Spirit of the Lord came on him. And, and here's the deal when, when Gideon blew the trumpet, everyone came, which was a sign that the Lord was on him. Then we can go on down to, to chapter 7. <clears throat> the Lord said to Gideon, verse 2. I want us to notice this process again. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. That's awesome word right there from the Lord. Sometimes to accomplish, you realize sometimes you're going to have too much to accomplish what the Lord wants to do. Here's a weird thing. One of the things that we, that we, we want around here is we want, we want increase. I just believe that when the kingdom of heaven comes, that fundamentally there's just increase that comes with it. When, when Jesus came and he gave abundant life, it's, it's a life of increase. And I'm not really even talking about money, but I'm talking about love, joy, peace, patience, and you know, just, it's just, that, it's just that, that good life all over. And so there's just increase. In, and, and, but here with Gideon, the Lord's wanting to deliver all of the Midianites into his hands. And there's something about Gideon's army. The, Lord, the Spirit of the Lord's on him. He gathers all of these dudes, you know. And the Lord comes to him and says, Well, good news, Midian. You have too many for me to work with. Let's send some home. And so the tables are turned on Gideon, uh, the last thing that happens in chapter six is is the famous part where Gideon uh, puts his fleeces out to the Lord. You know, he's still living in that in that place of, you know, unassurance and and maybe even just a little bit of fear. And the Lord's not angry. So two times Gideon puts the fleeces out, and he, you know, he says, you know, well, Lord, if it's you, then let it, let, let the dew be on the ground, but not on the not on the not on the fleece. And then you know, the Lord does that. And if that's then Gideon comes back and says, Lord, don't be angry. Let let the let the fleece be full of do and then not the ground and the Lord does that as well and then I, I love what happens in chapter 7 so in chapter 7 tables get turned you know uh, in chapter 6 Gideon is putting you know putting these fleeces out to the Lord and then in chapter 7 it's like the Lord's putting fleeces out to Gideon and says okay well, let's find out who's who and what's what and he says well you know good news Gideon uh, you have too many men let's weed them out so just tell everyone who's afraid to go home <clears throat> to everyone who's afraid to go home. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many. Take them down to the water and I'll sift them for you there. If I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. Verse 5, So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the, 300 that I, with the 300 men that have lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. So here again, we, we see this, this pattern of the Lord speaks and then Gideon does. And even and, and now because because there's this, I believe because there's a relationship of trust that's been developed through obedience and increased revelation. Gideon obeys, he gets increased revelation. Gideon obeys, he gets an increased awareness of what the Lord wants to do. Gideon obeys, he gets more knowledge specifically about how the Lord wants to to win the battle. <clears throat> and and so by the time we get here in chapter seven, Gideon has been with the Lord and he's seen the Lord save him already. Because after he, after he had tore down those Asherah poles and the altars, see, the townspeople wanted to kill him, and, and his own father comes out and says, hey, don't do that. You know, if Baal's God, then he can, you know, he can kill Gideon. And so Gideon gets a name called Jerubbabel, which means, you know, let Baal fight with him. And, so, and it's actually a sign that the Lord is with him. I'm convinced that Gideon 
when, when he tore down that altar and all the townspeople come to his house ready to kill him, and his father gives a word of wisdom and saves his life, I'm convinced that Gideon at that moment knew that the Lord was really with me. And then the Spirit, it says in chapter 6, verse 34, it says that the Spirit of the Lord came on him. Gideon sounds the trumpet. Thousands of people come to him. Now look, there's no reason for that to happen. What's happening here? Gideon is becoming aware that the Lord is on him and that the Lord is with him. Then the Lord says, you have too many men. Let's weed them out. 22,000 people gone. Then let's get rid of 9,700 more. Okay, And we're down to 300. Why is Gideon willing to do this? He's willing to do it because he's partnered with the Lord already in his life. And it's developed trust. And he knows that he can trust the Lord. He knows that 300 and, and, and the Lord is enough. He knows that, that if the Lord said, get it down to 300, that he's not going to hang him out to dry in the camp of the Midianites. So the Lord's just, he's worked something into Gideon. And, and despite, uh, despite Gideon's initial fears, can you all see that Gideon has changed? He's the kind of person who would be willing to let go thousands of people from his, from his army, which was probably already too small to begin with. And he whittles it down to 300. Then this is, this is a really great part because this shows us how good the Lord is. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley, and during the night the Lord said to Gideon, Again, the Lord's telling him what to do. Look at this. He tells him specifically what to do. During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Purah, and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. If you've got a pen, circle that word encouraged, okay? Afterward, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. Then look what, look what the Bible says in this, right here. It says, so he and Purah, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. So now here's the deal. The Lord is so good that he tells Midian, go, go down and just attack them and I'll, I'll give them to your hands. But if you're, if you're afraid, then take your servant. See, here's the Lord. The Lord's actually, there's this reciprocity in the relationship that's already beginning to happen. The Lord tells him what to do, but he says, you know, Gideon, you, you might be afraid. So if you're afraid, first take your servant, go down and listen to them. When you listen, you'll be encouraged and then you can come back. I want to tell you guys, the Lord's really good. He's really patient with you. He knows your weakness, and He'll actually be able to work the plan around your weakness to develop strength in you. And, uh, and so Gideon does it, and so he and his poor servant, and they went down to the outpost of the camp. The, uh, the Midianites, the, the, the Amalekites, and the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could be no more counted than the sand on the seashore. That's a lot. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. Now look at this. This is how good the Lord is. This man says to his other friend, he says, I had a dream, and he was saying, A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent was overturned and collapsed. And his friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. That's bonkers. That's absolutely bonkers. I want, you, I want you to know that it's no, it was no accident that the God gave the man the dream on the night that he gave him the dream. And it's no accident that he was telling his friend on the night that, that Gideon comes into the camp. And it's no accident that when Gideon comes up to the camp, now imagine this, the guy, who's, the guy who's at the first part of this story afraid and he's in, the, he's in the wine press is now doing what? He's taking his servant, he's walking right up to the camp he's going to kill. All right? Thousands. Of, there's, there's so many of them there. You know, they can't be counted. They're like locusts, and the camels are like the sand on the seashore. There's been a change in Gideon, and when he shows up, he hears this dream, and the guy says, I had a dream last night. A round loaf of barley bread came in and it hit our tent and knocked it over. And the guy instantly, and I just want to, I want to point this out. The guy instantly knew what it meant. Somebody has a dream around here. <clears throat> we might wrestle with it for a month before we get an idea of what it means. And... Um, <clears throat> And these guys, there was, something, there was something about dreams that just carried more weight. And uh, we're, we're learning to, to listen to our dreams as well. But yeah, the guy instantly knows what it is. And he says, ah, the loaf of barley, that's got to be Gideon. And he's coming. And, you know, the, the whole clan of Midianites were, were, were doomed. Isn't that amazing? Now, how good is the Lord? He's so good. I love what the Lord told him beforehand. He says, if you'll go down there with your servant, afterward you'll be encouraged. Why is he encouraged? He's encouraged because a man has a prophetic dream, and the prophetic dream gives insight into what's going to happen. 
There's something about prophecy at its root, the, the roots of the prophetic, the roots of, of prophetic ministry and the roots of, of prophetic gifts are to release encouragement. That's really what they're for. And, and we know this from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, you know. Anybody can prophesy, you know, for edification, exhortation, and comfort. And we see it even here in the Old Testament. Midian goes down. He goes down with his servant. The man has a dream, and the dream is about him, and it, and it releases encouragement into him. And encouragement breaks off fear. And when you get rid of fear, you can have faith. Let's look at one more thing and then we'll, two more things and we'll be done. Verse, um, yeah, so verse 15. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God and he returned to the camp of Israel And he called out, Get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Can you all tell that that Gideon's a changed man? Okay. No longer afraid. What's he doing? He's leading now. And he's not just leading. He's telling people what's what and how's how. And, and here's the other thing I want us to notice too. Have, have we noticed all through this story up to this point that every single thing along the way God has told Gideon what to do? Did God tell Gideon to get the, the trumpets and the jars and the torches out? Isn't that weird? What's happened here? Here's what's happened. And, and, and this is something that, that, that we all need to as well. There's a, there's a level of relationship with the Lord. And at a certain level of relationship, the Lord has to tell you everything to do. And you obey, and He continues to tell you what to do. And you obey, and He continues to tell you what to do. But at a certain point, the Lord trusts you, and then what happens? You just do what, what's in your mind to do, and He's with you. Let me put it this way. Uh, I've got three kids, uh, Mag, River, and Seth, and they are two, and they are five, and they're seven. <clears throat> I tell Mag everything that she does. Magnolia doesn't get to do hardly anything without me or Heather telling her what to do. Seth, he, we tell him what to do about almost everything. River, we tell him what to do on most things. But already at seven, my son has my trust and he knows what's right and wrong and he's been shaped my dire- by my direction to the point that if uh, when we get home, if he just decides that, uh, I, that he's going to go over to grandma's house, I, I don't care, just take off and run through the fields and through the woods. But we would never let Magnolia do that, not without my direction or without my presence. And so there's something about, that, that there's a transition that's happened within Gideon. It's not just from fear to courage, it's, it's, it's even about trust with the Lord. There's something about when the Holy Spirit is on you. See, it says in verse 6, I mean, chapter 6, verse 34, that the Spirit of the Lord came on him. And so, you know, everything that Gideon began to put his hand to at the direction of the Lord, it began to prosper and succeed. By the time we get to the actual battle plan, the battle plan came from Gideon and it came out of his spirit-renewed mind. And so there's, there's, a, there's a point at which, uh, there's a point at which uh, if we've been following the Lord at all, where we don't have to ask Him for every single direction. There's a point at which the Father just says, well, as long as you don't hurt your brother or your sister, I don't care, do it. Because you've been shaped and you've been formed. Your mind's been transformed. You've, been, you, you've gone from a person of fear and you've become a person convinced. And, and a person convinced, and what I, what I mean by convinced, is convinced in, my, convinced in, in the fact that, that I'm going to deliver this people into my own hand. When you become a person convinced, you just become more trustworthy to the Lord. And so, the, so at some level, the battle plan is just kind of like up to you. That probably offends some people in here. It's just true, though. See, everything that happens in life doesn't require the voice of the Lord. I ask for it because I want to honor my dad and I want to hear him. But at a certain point, and you'll experience this sometimes, you're, you're facing some huge decision at some, at some point, you'll... And I've had this happen. Huge decision or two. Getting ready to come up. 
Lord, what do you want to do? Lord, what do you want to do? Lord, what do you want to do? I've had this happen a couple times. The Lord just says, I don't care. Do whatever you want to do. I'm with you. I, I, I mean, I really don't care. Adam, do whatever you want to do. I'm with you. It's, it's about process. And that's what we see here. And we'll wrap this up pretty quick here. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him reached the edge of the camp, and at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed guard, they blew their trumpets and they broke the jars that were in their hands. And the companies, and the three companies blew their trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Sounds like Lord of the Rings, doesn't it? And while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran crying out as they fled. And so the Midianites end up just like slashing each other with their own swords and stuff. I mean, it's an improbable plan. But the Lord just comes in and he he goes, well, that's my son. That's what he came up with. We're going to do it, you know. I mean, if it were me, I would if if I've all I got is 300 guys left, I would at least want everybody to have two swords, one in each hand. Forget the torch and forget the forget the, the trumpet, you know. Unless it's a trumpet that we can bludgeon someone with. Or with a spear on the end. But for me, you know, I want two swords. But Midian comes up with this, he hatches this really crazy plan. Let's get a, let's get a pot and let's put a torch inside of it. And let's get a trumpet and let's blow the trumpet. Let's shout for, for the Lord and for Midian. Let's break the, break the jars. Let's grab the torches. And then, and what's funny is he doesn't tell them anything else. This is tremendous. At this point, Gideon is, a, is fully a man convinced that the Lord is going to back him up. I promise you, if you work this plan, if you come up with this plan, you put it into action, and you surround, you know, surround 150,000 men with, with, with 300 guys with jars, torches, and, and horns, you're a man convinced that the Lord's going to back you up. Yeah. And the Lord does. It's, it's really a tremendous thing. And so... So the point is, the point is really this, that, that really God did it all. God did it all. One last thing and we'll be done. It's chapter 6, it's verse 34. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Um, and this is what I really wanted to get to for us as a church uh, today and uh, even next week. And... Uh, this is just something I want us to live with an awareness of all the time. So this is just part and parcel with who we are. We want to sow this into our DNA. You see, um, the Lord came to, di- to, Mid- uh, to Gideon. I can't talk. The Lord came to Gideon, and even in his fearful place, he speaks to him and says, I think, he says, you're a warrior, and uh, I want you to deliver my people from Midian. And he puts his Holy Spirit on him, okay? Now, this is in a day when no one has the Holy Spirit, Okay? This is, this is in a time, in all the Old Testament, like in, a, in an entire generation, in Gideon's entire generation, he's the only guy that the Holy Spirit came on and rested upon. Okay? The only guy. The priests, they ministered before the presence, but Gideon had the presence, okay? Here's the other thing. So in the Old Testament, Gideon gets the presence. And in the Old Testament, in, in, a, in a generation, an entire generation of people, an entire generation of people on the earth and in Israel, the Holy Spirit might, might rest upon one person. In a really rare occasion, it might be two people, like Elijah and Elisha. They were contemporaries. So the Holy Spirit's resting on two people. But hardly ever more than that. What's the point? The point is this, that everyone in the Old Testament who had the Spirit of God did exploits. Everyone who had the, everyone who had the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit falls on you, there's a demand of, when, when you carry the presence, there's a demand that something happen. There's a demand that, that culture change placed upon your life. You can, you can trace this all through the Scripture. Everyone who gets the Holy Spirit in Scripture, there's a demand placed upon them. There's calling placed upon them. There's power placed upon them. We've talked about this before at the Vineyard, that anytime there's mission, there's power. Anytime there's power, there's mission. I want to add a third thing to that. Anytime there's mission and power, there's presence. And where's what I want to say? All throughout the Old Testament, anyone who had presence had mission and they had power to accomplish mission. Any, anyone who, anyone who, anyone who the, the Lord put Holy Spirit on the outside, anyone that the Lord anointed with His presence, he would, they were anointed to bring culture change. You all see where I'm going with this? 
Then we, get to, then we get to Jesus of Nazareth, and on the day that he was baptized, Holy Spirit comes out of heaven in the form of a dove, and it, and it didn't just fall on him for a little while, but the, the Bible says that it came on him and then it remained. At that point, Jesus got a mandate from the Father for culture change. And then Jesus, he has his ragtag group of, of 12 that are around him, and he says, follow me, I'm going to show you what to do. And so for three and a half years, they heard Jesus' words, they saw what he did, but they didn't just hear his words and see what he did. They, they also learned how to teach and they learned how to do based upon G- watching Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit falls on them, and then what happens? They get a mandate for culture change. See, here's the deal. And, it's, and it, we could go on, I mean, we could go all the way up through church history, and, and, and even to people who are alive even right now. I want to say this to to everybody in the house. If you know the Lord, if you've you've encountered Jesus, if you've said, Jesus, I want to be your disciple, on the moment that you said, Jesus, I want to be your disciple, I want to be your follower, Holy Spirit came in on the inside.